Hello. Hey. What are we learning about today? Well, we have a big topic on our agenda, so we're going to jump right into it. Let's do uh, it. We're going to be learning about the Mexican Revolution of 1910. Hell yeah. Do you have what I call Spanish mouth? Well, I don't know. What is this? <laughs> um, I find that Spanish is all at the front of your mouth and like it uses ah. different muscles. Yeah. So like whenever I've been speaking Spanish for a significant amount of time, like, I don't know, like they're just more ready to go that part of the mouth. It's like when you, uh, it's like after band practice, right? Mm -hmm. and your like lips are kind of a little <laughs> bit buzzed off of playing the mouthpiece. Yeah. It's just like a different, I don't know. It's like That's, mechanically very different, I find. Yeah. That's for our brass heads out there. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I've just been reading it, honestly. I haven't really been... I know the pronunciations, so I haven't been practicing it, mm, but we'll see. see how that comes out. Well, now I'm going to be judging. <laughs> yeah, I'll rely <laughs> on my natural skill, which may not be there. All right, let's do it. So, to start off with, we're going to talk about kind of, okay, why are we learning this, right? What we call the learning targets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Mexican Revolution is one of the biggest revolutionary stories in the 20th century. Okay. And I think it kind of gets overlooked. Yeah, I feel like we only know about it because, again, we, we toured a bunch of museums whenever we would go to Mexico. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, or, like, mom would reference, like, one of the figures or something. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it is super important. It's before the Russian Revolution even. Um, I mean, it spans it. It goes from mm -hmm. 1910 to 1920. So it's a decade also. It's, so there's a ton of history a there. Yeah. A major upheaval of Mexican society. Uh, and like you mentioned, our mom will mention it some. People in Mexico still like kind of reference the revolution in, especially when talking about like local history or like family lore or things like that. I feel like, and I don't know if this is accurate, but I feel like it's a very reverent kind of reference usually and like mm -hmm. i think it's because of the time that we grew up to where like mexico's politics like were super super corrupt and so people like really looked back fondly on like some of the revolutionary figures yeah i would definitely say so some of the figures now when we get into it we're gonna see everything so complicated and we might come away from the from this or guess a greater understanding of why people mm, have certain understandings of the revolution mm -hmm. just because there's like real dark shit that happens mm, and it's yeah, just yeah. like super tumultuous. You have to like find something about it. Right. Yeah. And I guess when, when we are diving into it, we'll be focusing on the social revolution that takes place within it. Hell yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, we're communist podcast here. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we'll be looking at people's demands for equality, for justice, for socialist and at sometimes kind of anarchist, a reckoning, a leveling of society. Yeah. That it's this kind of like swelling up from the bottom that there's going to be like these big leaders doing things, mm -hmm. but the popular masses are still going to like make their demands uh, seen and heard and really reverberate throughout society. Cool. Sounds great. Yeah, we'll also see some shitty things like American imperialism. <laughs> oh, huh, shocker. I hate when that guy shows up. <laughs> All right. So speaking of the bad stuff, let's start out the precursor. <laughs> uh, the background to the, why there's a revolution, usually something shitty was happening. <laughs> um, and in this case, it was a guy named Porfirio Diaz. Yeah, I've heard of that guy. Yeah, he was shitty. 
Mm-hmm. He was president of Mexico and had was first elected in 1877. And then he had kind of like one term worth of interim before he came back in and then mm, like just okay. kept rigging the elections to win. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, and it was so there was this corrupt dictatorship co- called the Porfiriato. Okay. And he was very business friendly. All right. Mm, I think like boy. just like mustachio twirling guy, <laughs> monopoly man, but as president. You know? He does have a good mustache, though, if I remember correctly, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a an excellent conflict for facial hair. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a walrus right there. Yeah, it's great. And so, yeah, he's he's su- like a super sellout. And he's all about, you know, making sure that foreign companies can come in and exploit people. Mm. He's definitely that, like, you know, exploiter or like, uh, how did Galliano put it? The class that is like... The sub-imperialist. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And... One of the things he was what, that I found particularly shitty uh, was forcing indigenous communities like that had kind of communally held lands, mm-hmm. even since the Spanish times, the Spanish kind of let them do that. Yeah. He forced that to be broken up and sold. Oh. They lost 95% of their lands. What a shithead. Yeah. So, you know, more and more land, fewer and fewer hands. Mm-hmm. And people just kind of forced to like work for absentee landowners mm-hmm. of these big haciendas and everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and everyone's like, "This sucks. We want to do something about it." Another thing he did that was ruthless was he expanded this paramilitary force called the Rurales. Okay, kind of a you know a rural yeah, military like group. <laughs> yeah, it was his own <laughs> private army though, like kind of just loyal to him basically. Yeah, okay. So he could send them around, like he needs to evict these people from their Jeez. communally held lands, you know, okay. whatever. Okay, just starts a gang, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when you put it that way, sounds even better. <laughs> <laughs> there was growing labor unrest. Okay. There were like major strikes in 1906 and 1907, mm. kind of coinciding with an economic downturn. Uh, and he didn't fuck around with that, and he sent in, you know, the troops to, to quash that. He didn't didn't care. Yeah, you know? yeah. At that time, you know, he's he's kind of facing growing unrest in terms of labor. He's also facing political opposition. Okay. There was this party formed in 1905, strangely enough, called the Mexican Liberal Party. Okay. Doesn't sound like it's going to do anything too radical. Yeah, right. But they were actually anarchists, so maybe they were just oh. like, disguising that. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I dare you to go call an anarchist a liberal, you know, in a dark alley today. Yeah, That's... you will get a Doc Martin <laughs> on your neck. <laughs> <laughs> but this was uh, led by an interesting fellow named Ricardo Flores Magón. Okay. Who was a journalist. Uh, he was an anarchist as well, and he was kind of agitating uh, in his... You know, anarchist newspapers and stuff mm-hmm. for social change, for Hell uprisings yeah. and things. Uh, and he actually ends up spending most of the later years of his life in exile in the United States because, I mean, okay. he was doing this shit, you know. Yeah, yeah, and makes Diaz sense. Said, Get out. <laughs> he was still always like agitating against Diaz and the government and, you know, for anarchy. Eventually in the United States, he actually gets sentenced under the uh, under the World War One like anti-sedition laws you know oh what the fuck for writing about a different country no for writing anti-war stuff there he was like fuck the war yeah and so (laughs) they convicted him of obstructing the war effort and put him in prison for 20 years where he died jesus christ yeah but he was kind of like the 
intellectual. Some people refer to him as kind of the intellectual, you know, forefather of the Mexican mm. Revolution, in that he's kind of like behind the Mexican Liberal Party, which is like sparking these initial mm-hmm. kind of unrest things. Okay. Question. Yeah. I don't know if and when this will play a part in this, but from what I understand, the church also like was super in charge of things in certain ways, like kind of similar to what we saw in Russia, right? Uh, yeah. So the church was generally a reactionary or conservative force. Mm-hmm. Diaz had kind of come to an understanding with them. He kind of started his life as more of a liberal figure mm-hmm. and then, of course, gets more conservative in power. <laughs> Weird how that happens. Oh, my gosh. In every instance, we're pretty much going to see the church supporting the conservative side, at least, or Mm -hmm. perhaps the reactionary side if they want to actually, you know, go back to someone else. From before this time, we're talking back in the time of Benito Juarez and stuff, like in the mid-1800s. Uh-huh. Okay. uh, Mexican liberalism was very anti-clerical because the church was on that conservative side and had a whole lot of land and had a whole lot of like, you know, government power in that way. They had like an official role. And so liberalism was kind of about reducing that role, reducing their, their power. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like we saw in the Spanish civil war that like they were, uh, you know, on the right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wait, who was Benito Juarez? I thought he was going to show up in this. He's not. No, he was okay, in the. Okay, he's earlier. <laughs> yes, he was before this. A, a couple, a few presidents back before this. Okay, sorry, y'all. He was on some money, so I thought he would show up in this. <laughs> <laughs> back to the Liberal Party. Yeah, back to the Liberal Party. So the, these, this anarchist group, we're gonna see these guys kind of recur throughout, or at least um, this kind of anarchist tendency, or. Yeah, we're talking about the social revolution here. So again, that yearning for the people for kind of radical change, economic democracy. That'll be a, something we see. Okay. 1910 rolls around, and Diaz, who has been running for re-election, he's kind of old by now, and he promised okay. in an interview, like, I'm not going to run for re-election. Mm, don't believe that. Well, good idea, because he ran <laughs> for re-election. And this uh, really weird guy named Francisco E. Madero challenged him in that, in that election. Okay. And he's a really weird guy. He comes from the super rich family. He was a vegetarian, which was kind of weird at the time. That's super weird at the time. He was into homeopathy. He was into uh, spiritism, which okay, is like... Okay, so this like hippie guy runs. Uh, yeah, actual, I mean, that and like an occultist sort of. He thought Ooh, actually that. that he was a medium, <gasps> that he could speak to spirits and stuff. He thought he had like com- could commune with his dead four-year-old brother, Raul. Oh, my God. Okay, so a witch is running. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I got my crystals. I'm ready. Yes, basically. What the fuck? And uh, he, he's running on anti-re-election. This guy shouldn't be running again, is what he's saying. <laughs> Me, right? a literal wizard, should be there instead. <laughs> um, but, I mean, he was, in some respects, though, seen as respectable middle class. But because okay, of his okay. economic station, you know. You could do that shit if you were rich. Like, oh, that's just charming. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like, that's eccentric, right? But it's fine. Yeah. Speaking of which, just a side note, we can cut this if we want, but there was a guy who used to run against Porfirio Diaz Mm -hmm. uh, in all those rigged elections. Mm, Yeah, he was just the guy. Yeah, but he was like this eccentric guy who always said that he won and like believed that he won (laughs) and saw himself as the president of Mexico. 
and people would just like hail him in restaurants and stuff when he was around and they would just be like hey presidente come on over oh and my like, god i bet i bet it was uh pretty great that's hilarious <laughs> just a designated fall guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> so thing about madero so he is uh kind of you know that single issue this guy shouldn't be running again but he's kind of going out there making promises you know he's not mm. a radical guy he's kind of a liberal reformer ish okay but he comes across, I guess, when he's giving all these different groups, you know, hey, I want to do this, I want to do that, but very vague. So he comes across as kind of a blank slate. All um, right, hope so. and change Madero. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. People project onto him what they think that, you know, oh, but he really means this. Oh, know? my God. Yes. Classic liberal campaign. <laughs> yeah. So for those of us who came up in the 2008 uh, times and we used to be liberals and things. <laughs> this one cut steep. <laughs> yeah, right. So Madero campaigns and he gets a lot of support and so much so that Diaz throws him in jail before the election. <laughs> okay, cool thing to do. Madero somehow escapes and flees to San Antonio. Okay. Then the election happens and everybody was like, cool, Madero. Yeah, yeah. But somehow <gasps> he lost in a landslide. Who knows how? Mm, yeah, some some boats fell off a truck. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Weird. So Diaz was just like, sweet. I won again. <laughs> oh, my God. But the thing is, Madero was like, fuck you. No, you didn't. Yeah. And it's October 5th, 1910. He calls him out in what's called the Plan of San Luis de Potosí. Okay. All right. Now, the thing about plans, you're going to hear them several times, mm-hmm. is this is like a big uh, fuck you statement. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. More plans should be like at the beginning of a meeting instead of an agenda. You're just like, here's our fuck you statement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so you call somebody out, you know, and you say why they're bad and why mm-hmm, you're good mm-hmm. and you're, why you're, you know, you're rebelling against them, basically. is Okay. What he goes is. on Twitter. Yeah. He does a post. <laughs> does a call out post. Not a call-in post. This is strictly call-out. This is, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And the plan of San Luis de Potosí says, Diaz, you know, you're terrible. Let's do a rebellion on November 20th. Everybody rise up with me, Madero, as the provisional president. Wow, I love that. Meet me here. Time (laughs) and date. Flash mob rebellion. (laughs) Everyone brings swords or whatever. (laughs) Bring your machetes. Yeah, don't bring... Yeah, bring guns, please. (laughs) Uh, So, Madero kind of becomes the first popular leader Mm, of the Mexican Revolution in this way. He's got the support of middle-class liberal reform types like him. Yeah, want Kind of respectable government, law and order, bourgeois democracy. Mm -hmm. Workers think that he's going to be better towards unions than uh, Diaz was. Low bar, right? I mean... (laughs) Yeah, right. <laughs> and peasants uh, think that, you know, he did mention land reform. He might, like, want to do <laughs> land reform. He really is uh, the blue no matter who of Mexico. <laughs> yeah. So, he, okay, he de- basically declared rebellion. So war breaks out. Revolution. Okay. We'll have several of these bouts throughout. But this is, you know, they're going to be a little bit abbreviated because it's military history. Yeah, who cares? But we'll hit the important stuff in terms of what mo- the moving parts. Okay. The sides here, you've got the government forces called mm-hmm. Porfiristas, the people who supported um, Porfirio Diaz. Yeah. Staying in power. So like the Federal Army. Uh, on the other side, you have the broad uh, group of people called the Maderistas, the people for Madero. Okay. Uh, but this is a real like big mix of forces. Yeah, yeah. 
in the south, like we're not talking very, very south, like Yucatan Peninsula, but like south of the capital of Mexico, mm-hmm. specifically in the state of Morelos, okay. uh, you have a fellow named Emiliano Zapata. I've heard about this guy. Another sick stash. <laughs> yes. Uh, he was very proud of it. He should be. And uh, he's a he's a real cool guy. Like I said, leader in the state of Morelos. And he was all about fighting for the rights of the peasants, the campesinos. Hell yeah. And he was all against uh, the large landowners, the hacendados, the people who own the haciendas, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One thing that we didn't set up that I feel like we should really quickly yeah. is I think what from what I know about Mexico, I think this happens in a lot of like revolutions, you know, whenever they rebelled against Spain back in the day, like it it had the potential for a lot of revolutionary, you know, ideals. Mm-hmm. And then it just ended up being like the bourgeoisie back in control. So yes. like I just wanted to mention that, I guess. Yeah. So that kind of trend we're also, you know, sadly going to see here. <laughs> Damn it. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's true. Yeah. We, so we're talking, uh, this is the heady days of the beginning of the revolution. People have big dreams right now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Zapata had started out in Morelos um, as like a Pueblo leader there, mm, the okay. leader of one of the towns there. Uh, he had started out kind of peacefully negotiating this sort of land reform, kind of socialist style uh, with the hacienda owners okay. and basically saying like, Hey, give us some land. You know, we're going <laughs> to please redistribute some land. Okay. A lot of them were jerks and they were like, no. Yeah. Why yeah. would they? <laughs> <laughs> the government there was not doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. because They didn't really have an interest there. So he eventually was just like, fuck that. You know, only a few people kind of voluntarily did that. So he started just getting like the people, armed and went over there and, and, and just took over the land. Oh yeah. And redistributed it that way. So this figure, Zapata, who's doing this direct action redistribution of land, mm-hmm. you know, he looks at Madero and this is kind of, you know, this is a liberal politician, the sorts mm-hmm. of people who were telling him, you know, you can't redistribute land, but he had again, mentioned land reform. And if you got to choose him or Diaz. Yeah, obviously. I mean, it's not, maybe this guy's going to be better. So he <laughs> agrees to, uh, to support him. Okay. And in 1911, he leads the Liberation Army of the South. And so this is part of that whole anti-government side. Uh, he ends up winning some important battles of Hohutla and Kuautla. A lot of vowels in that. <laughs> yeah, UAU. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, those, those are pretty important battles. That's in kind of the south of the capital. Okay, cool. In the north, you've got a General Pascual Orozco. Okay. uh, And a very famous bandit uh, turned revolutionary named Francisco Villa, a.k.a. Pancho Villa. I have heard many a song telling of his tales. Yeah. (laughs) Villa, um, I mean, he was a bandit. And he has the kind of backstory that's like very uncertain and murky that like mm-hmm. you would bring to a and d table if you forgot to do the backstory. <laughs> I You're love like, that. Uh, mysterious. No one knows. Like that's Pancho <laughs> Villa. Really knows. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, but he was, I mean, he ends up running a bandit gang in Chihuahua and is um, approached by one of Madero's representatives. Hey, we're doing revolution. Love to have you on board. Mm, okay. 
it basically tells him, like, you've been doing this banded stuff, right? But why don't you, like, knock off the Hacienda owners and, like, give that to the poor. Become popular, man. Like, people would love that. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, that actually sounds really cool. I would love that. <laughs> Let's do it. So he joins. In the North, there's also this very interesting, almost side note to the revolution called the Magonista Rebellion of 1911. It's an anarchist rebellion. Interesting. That happens within the revolution. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely off the beaten path. It's in Baja, <laughs> California. Okay, yeah. And on January 29th, 1911, uh, the Liberal Party of Mexico, who we mentioned before, they do a little anarchist revolution there. Okay, cool. <laughs> and they, so they take Mexicali, they liberate Mexicali, and mm-hmm. soon thereafter Tijuana as well. Nice. And, I mean, so they're anarchists. They're like, we're abolishing property. (laughs) We're doing an anarchist workers commune. Cool shit, you know? All right, great. (laughs) They have some American help, but not the kind that we uh, actually hate. Uh, Okay. This came from the IWW, the International Workers of the World in Los Angeles. That's amazing. They're like, "Uh, there's some shit going down. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, literally. The Socialist Party of America was kind of involved, too. And they sent volunteers to this. And so by the end of February, there's like 100 Americans who have joined the Magonista Rebellion, including a very famous uh, wobbly songwriter named Joe Hill, which just seemed like, wow, I didn't know that was the guy who would go (laughs) do revolution somewhere. But That's really hilarious. Cool. Like, the one time I'm okay with us sending some troops over. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the Magonista Rebellion started against Diaz, right? You know? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't last long. It's crushed within the year. So that's why it's kind of a side note. By the time it's crushed, it's actually crushed by the next government that comes after Diaz. So it's kind of like mm. a little bit of turn-betrayal sort of thing. Mm, it's like sucks. an interim government. So I did just look up the flag for the Liberal Party. It's fucking rad. <laughs> what does that look like? I forgot. It is a hunk, and he's holding a flag that says Tierra y Libertad. Oh, hell yeah, that one. And yeah, it's just fucking rad. Partido Liberal Mexicano. That is pretty... Is he working out? Well, no, he's got like a hammer. A okay. hammer. I thought he was too. Like <laughs> He stopped in his barbell reps just to lift a flag. <laughs> Uh, More hunks on flags, please. Yes, that's a good look. We have like a (laughs) jacked Uncle Sam on the American flag instead. (laughs) No, I don't want him. He's nasty. (laughs) He's pro-military. True. Uh, All right, so let's sidestep the rest of the military history. Ultimately, (laughs) uh, Madero's forces end up winning. Okay, great. No more Diaz. Yeah, by May 1911, Diaz starts like negotiating with the revolutionary okay. forces because he realizes he's lost, but Madero's kind of such a softy that mm-hmm. they, you know, there's no like storm in, put the guy in the wall sort I'm of thing. I'm sure there's not. They yeah. just uh, do a treaty with him called the Treaty of Ciudad Juarez. The guy who said he wasn't going to run anymore, let's just like talk it out. I'm sure it'll work this time. Yeah, it has its pluses and its minuses. Diaz does resign and mm-hmm. goes into exile. Okay. And then interim president takes his place. And that's when the anarchists um, who they're sitting there saying, like, this treaty's fucking dumb. The interim government is like, if you think it's so dumb, we're going to crush you. And they do. Cool friends. But the treaty doesn't really change the structure of the government at all. You're still sitting there with the old courts, the old judges appointed by Diaz, the government run by most of the same people. 
the interim president named Francisco Leon de la Bada, mm-hmm. uh, just basically wants to put things back the way they were. He looks like a guy who wants to put things back the way they were. <laughs> like he would walk into a room and say, what is all this? This is too much racket. Yeah. Okay. He was known to conservatives as, quote, the white president or the pure president. That's kind of weird. I think by white, though, they may mean like ru- like white Russia, sort of like, you know, in- mm, okay. imperial in that, or like, you know, mm, conservative. Okay. Like whites and the reds. Yeah. Okay. Uh, weird. Weird nickname, though. Don't like it. Maybe. They may just mean... <laughs> He was white. I don't know. He was super white. (laughs) Uh, And so he doesn't really do much in terms of reforms. He also ends up sending troops to Morelos because Zapata is like not happy about the treaty. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and he hadn't disarmed his people at all. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so the interim government's like, you can do that. Sending troops. (laughs) And anyway, they're not around for long. In November, the election comes. Madero wins. Yep. Because everybody was like, okay, yeah, duh. Why did they even have another guy's interim president? That just seems like a waste of everyone's time. And it was, (laughs) yeah. A lot of people said that. And it comes across as kind of like losing steam. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. we could have just taken power right there. But instead, you had to have a little bit of window where Diaz's people were basically still in power and could kind of undermine you, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, it seems useless. Yeah, not a good move. Uh, but the spirits probably told him to. <laughs> Proceeds to kind of let everybody down. Uh, he doesn't really change much in power. <laughs> uh, he tries to, like, chart a middle course. All right. He's got reactionaries okay. who hate him, of course. Uh, conservatives mm-hmm. who also don't like him, but, like, he's trying not to scare them. Of course, of course, because that always works. Yeah, good idea, right? <laughs> so he gets everyone to hate him. Oh, yeah, yeah. A classic move. Yeah, liberals and radicals, you know, I mean, like, liberals he'd promise some stuff to. Mm-hmm. Radicals, he was going to let them, like, they wanted to do way more yeah. shit than he wanted to. So this, of course, how's it going to end? We just go back and forth between conservative and liberal forever, because that's what we're doing here. <laughs> no, Uh <laughs> They're going to do that a little bit, yeah. (laughs) So here, Madero, so some of the things he does, I mean, he just digs a hole for himself, right? So one of the things Mm -hmm. he actually changes is liberalizing the press. Hey, you guys can, like, print stuff now. Problem is, they just go out there and say, yeah, Madero fucking sucks. and That's sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's really embarrassing. Political parties spring up all over the place. They're, you know, not really in a rush to be like, we're the, you know, another party that agrees with Madero. Like, they they Mm -hmm. don't like him. Uh, he gives workers the right to organize and strike. That's good. And they do. And he doesn't like it. And, well, yeah, he doesn't like it because it, like, scares the shit out of, like, the business owners and everything mm. who he loves, you know. <laughs> and they start talking like, this Mandero guy doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe we should, like, take care of him. I don't know. And he doesn't do land reform. Okay. Of course he doesn't. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I mean, he came from a wealthy family. That just was not his class. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he was law and order, you know, he was, let's do things the way we have done things, but with a good guy in charge. Exactly. It's like the problem was just that one guy. Now I'm here. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Didn't pass social reforms like working conditions or, you know, better hours or pay or whatever. Like none of that. Cool. Cool guy. Yeah. So people didn't like that in the North. (laughs) Um, One of his erstwhile allies, General Orozco, turned on him. Okay. Organized his own army, issued the Plan Orozquista. Okay. That was in 1912, you know, declared rebellion and was actually crushed pretty quickly. 
Ah, oh, dang it. Okay. <laughs> there were um, other rebellions going along in, in, in the North, too. There were conservative mm-hmm. ones, and they Ooh. got crushed, and their like, uh, generals were imprisoned in Mexico okay. City. We'll get back to them. Ooh, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but another one I want to talk about is Zapata. All right, back to this guy. Yeah, so Zapata really never, you know, disarmed. He was pissed that land reform didn't happen. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's what he's all about. He's all about yeah. you know, fighting for the people. So he says, obviously, uh, I've been fooled once. I'm not going to be fooled again. Mm-hmm. And he publishes his own plan, the plan of Ayala. <laughs> okay, love it. What's his shit post say? Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> this is uh, all about what he's going to do better than Madero. Like, Madero sucks. All right. Betray the revolution, not doing land reform, not even good at being a president. Get rid of him. <laughs> He's in rebellion against him, you know, and his group is going to be radical. They're going to expropriate property from the landlords and the bosses. Mm. They're going to return it to the people. Uh, they're going to do land rest- redistribution. That's a fire track right there. I'm into it. Yeah. His uh, organization for that was... We're going to return to rightful owners where their land had been stolen. So, like, if it had been sold off and stuff, but you had the deed to it. Um, mm-hmm. They're also just going to take a third of land from, like, monopolistic landowners mm-hmm. and give it to the landless. And if they complain about it, they're going to take the other two-thirds of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I would, like, take it in the meanest way possible. Just be like... <laughs> I don't even know. I would just like spray paint dicks like next door or something like this guy sucks so that they extra complain about it. It's like, oops, well, I'm taking the rest. Uh, It's pretty cool. They come, you know, they take that slogan from the Mexican Liberal Party, Tierra y Libertad. Hell yeah. And his forces start to grow because he's seen as like, you know, a point of resistance uh, against this bullshit regime. And what they do, they start doing some guerrilla warfare there in Morelos. It simmers for a long time throughout the rest of the revolution. Okay, cool. And this is where we get back to those generals because... Uh-oh. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen with them? Based on Christine's rules for revolution, one of which is kill your prisoners. <laughs> I bet these guys are going to get out and start starting some of their, their own little shit posts and doing their own shit. Uh, yeah, this is something called the 10 Tragic Days. Oh, God, not a great title. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Yeah, here's the plot. Okay, those those generals in prison in the capital, their allies in the city start agitating for their release. Hey, it's fucked uh. up that they're in prison, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they rile up some military cadets to do a riot at the prison. Fuck. They, scare, they, they just scare the prison into releasing them. Oh, my God. The generals Felix Diaz, who is the nephew of Porfirio Diaz. Oh, my God. He should definitely have been killed. Okay. <laughs> and Bernardo Reyes. They were freed. And then they immediately, like, one of them jumps on a horse and starts, like, leading the people. <laughs> like, you know, they just start doing general shit and leading oh a God. coup. Always kill your prisoners, guys. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, if you're on our side. If you're not on our side, you're bad. When you oh, do don't. That. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so they start leading a coup. They start capturing the city to, you know, try to force Madero to resign. Mm-hmm. And as the battle rages in the streets of Mexico City, a jerk who had just so happens to be the American ambassador. <laughs> Weird how that guy's a jerk. Yeah. Henry Lane Wilson. 
Okay, it's a nerd name. Let me see his pick. Confirmed nerd. Got the centered part. Um, <laughs> with like the, he's got like a knockoff Tesla look. It's, it's not good. It's not good. Henry Lane Wilson, American ambassador, is helping to coordinate the different groups of the coup. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Wow. Helpful, helpful, helpful. Not only that, if you thought that was helpful, he's also going out there on the international stage in his like, you know, capacity as ambassador and telling people, oh yeah, like Madero pretty much already fell. Like he's, he's done (gasps) basically like, oh my gosh, what a shithead. Just talking. Yeah. Just talking a whole bunch of shit about Madero, (laughs) uh, just undermining him. You know, they're going to fail any second. Wow. You know, they're super evil anyway. They're super bad. Like, uh, when the coup, you know, when the coup guys start doing things and the government comes out and fights them, mm-hmm. he's like, uh, this is a real problem. Like the government is crushing these people. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> you know, look at all this bad stuff. You know, they're oppressive. Not a problem when they crush the anarchists, but like not generals. Those guys are nice. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so president Madero, he's like, well, this is, this is going to be okay. He's got a pretty good general Victoriano Huerta. It's JK Simmons looking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, Horta had helped him crush other rebellions. And he figure he's going to do the same thing here. The problem was uh-oh, Huerta uh-oh. had secretly joined with the rebels. Of course he did. He was, he is a general. The rebellion is from other generals. They're friends. Like, okay. So here's what he does. He secretly joined the rebels, but he's been put in charge of defense of the city. So he just like does a bad job of it. He just opens up that gate. (laughs) Well, like, but like not as conspicuously. So he's like, oh man, these guys are really good. (laughs) You know, like they just keep beating (laughs) us and stuff. Oh, I don't know how. (laughs) Yeah. And so the reveal only comes after he like, you know, has really put the rebels in, in the driver's seat almost. And He's finished eating breakfast with the president's brother. Okay. When afterwards, he's just like, you know, kind of whistles some guys in and they go in and arrest the president's brother. Oh, I love this messy drama. That's very good. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so, so soon thereafter, they arrest Madero, also the, the, the president. And I mean, by that point, the matter is basically settled. Uh, the coup leaders and the U.S. ambassador pressure Madero and his VP to resign. Wow. That that really is 10 tragic days. The Mexicans know how to come up with a great nickname for everything. And that's, that's a good one. <laughs> yes, for sure. And so they do, they resign on February 19th and Huerta has the next guy in line, appoint him to the government and then resign. So like he inherits the presidency. He, mm, he was like okay. obsessed with doing it the right way even though he'd just done a coup (laughs) that's so weird listen i know i just did a coup but let's be reasonable here (laughs) (laughs) right uh and so then they took madero and his vice president pino suarez out uh and executed them okay they did kill the prisoners shit (laughs) yeah where to order it ambassador wilson knew about it all right great 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 so the first chapter of the revolution madero's rule done so while this was going on, were like the Zapatistas still running around doing shit? Yeah, they were still mainly local in Morelos there. Okay, cool. In that region. When Huerta comes to power, he, of course, rules like a dictator. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's an asshole. He's oppressive. uses the army to crush everything that goes against him. He's all about militarization. Mm-hmm. Super brutal. Uh, surprisingly enough, people were, really weren't into that. <laughs> 
They didn't love being crushed under that sexy boot? Uh, no, they they didn't. And so by March 1913, this is like a few weeks into his, into his <laughs> regime. Uh, the governor of Coahuila, uh, a guy named Venusiano Carranza, launched a rebellion. He did his own plan. New plan. Who this? <laughs> uh, so he was kind of, he was a reformer, but not very radical. He was okay. also kind of a very wealthy guy. Uh, mm. But he was, again, Suerte, he thought he was an asshole, you know. Okay, thought he yeah, could yeah. do a better job running the country. So he issues the plan of Guadalupe. The confidence of a rich man. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can do anything. They can fly into space, you know. <laughs> so the plan of Guadalupe uh, created what was called the Constitutionalist Army. Okay. You know, they're basically saying like, hey, what you're doing, it's unconstitutional. We're going to, you know, we're going to restore mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it put, of course, himself in charge. Classic. Uh, as Premier Hefe. <laughs> Good title, though. Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty dope. That's classy. Obviously, he said, where it sucks, they're illegitimate. We're declaring rebellion. We're going to take power. We're going to do elections to where I'm, I'll be official, you know, president as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's do this. Okay. So uh, Carranza declares rebellion and he teams up with some other generals in the north. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a new guy who will play prominently. Uh, Alvaro Obregón. Mm, decent mustache. Nothing to write home about. Uh, and so he's like a really good general. Uh, okay. Whatever skills are involved in being a good general, he had him. Uh, <laughs> like I said, he'll come into play later. Okay. Pancho Villa also allied with Carranza, but did not officially join like the constitutionalists in, in saying like, oh, I want Carranza mm-hmm. to be in charge necessarily. You know, but he didn't want, he didn't like Huerta. Yeah, yeah. And this is the same as Zapata in the South, whose rebellion was still going on. He's like, yeah, man, I'll help y'all out. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really signing on to the whole program, you know. <laughs> That's not, fine. I have my own plan. It's cooler <laughs> I'm than doing yours. my own thing. Okay, okay. I don't know. Mutual agreements. Yeah, a loose alliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the constitutionalists, that's Carranza and friends, Mm-hmm. They end up mopping up the government. I mean, it's pretty oh, quick. Oh, okay. Huerta even, he's, he's pretty bad at this. And so he even manages to get the United States to invade Mexico in the process. Oh, okay. <laughs> at this point, the United States didn't like him because of how he had come to power. Because even though it was their ambassador who was helping, it was from yeah. Taft's administration. And then they had <laughs> changed to Wilson. And Wilson was like, what the fuck? Uh, That's hilarious. And they also didn't like that he was just bad at keeping the country together, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so, they, yeah, they ended up invading Mexico. You want to wow. hear how that goes down? Because this is actually kind of not as well known amongst Americans. Yeah. The invasion and occupation of Veracruz was mm. America's response to something called the Tampico Affair, which was really, really stupid. Okay. Uh, the Tampico Affair started because the U.S. had sent the Navy to Tampico Bay to protect American lives and interests. You know how they say with anything that goes oh, yeah. on overseas. That That's the excuse for anything. Like, yeah. That's like us picking up a pizza. We could definitely say that it's for American lives and interests. <laughs> like they will use that for anything. Uh-huh. In this case, it was uh, to protect uh, petroleum properties uh, <laughs> and the American families who owned or worked there and their fancy mm-hmm. homes. Mm-hmm. That's why they were there. Okay. <laughs> on April 9th, 1914, one of their ships ran low on coal. 
serious. I told you this was stupid. And so they go like, they send some guys in a boat and they're like, go like pick up some coal from this German dude. We bought it from and bring it back. But on the way, uh, they get arrested (laughs) by Mexican forces there by federal troops. Okay. And pretty soon they realize, oh shit, these are American sailors. We got to send them back. And they send them back like within an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the Americans are like, what the fuck did you do to us? Like, how dare you? You know? Uh, and Mexico's like, sorry. we." Yeah, it's like you know, trying to arrest a cop. Like, they're going to get really fucking pissed about it. Yeah, and they're like, <laughs> you know. Do you know who I am? We didn't mean to. But but America said, like, no, you got to, like, do a formal apology. You got to do, like, a, like a you know, your ships, fire all your guns, like a salute thing. Oh do all God, this sort of no. stuff to make it up. And Mexico was just like, give him the middle finger, you know, like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> It's so stupid. Yeah. And America went to war on that. April 20th, Congress approved an invasion. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because someone got held up for less than an hour. Okay. And so, yeah, they invade. uh, And within a month, 400 Mexican soldiers and 800 civilians had been killed. (gasps) uh, And the U.S. had captured Veracruz. What the fuck, guys? That's insane. Yeah. Good old imperialism. They occupied it until <laughs> November 23rd, 1914. Okay, cool. So, you know, if anyone's traveling to Mexico and you're wondering, why is there anti-American sentiment here? Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons. Yeah, for uh, sure. Including the historical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By that point, Huerta had already lost. Okay. On the 23rd of June, the Battle of Zacatecas, okay. uh, where Pancho Villa conquered the city interestingly enough in defiance of carranza's orders listen i know we're trying to take down this big bad guy don't try to take over the main city though that'd be way too much yeah um (laughs) and but that actually does where to end and he ends up resigning and fleeing into exile on july 15th taking just as kind of something for the road half a million (laughs) marks worth of gold another classic move yeah general obregon and carranza uh, enter Mexico City unopposed. They signed treaties with the next in-line guy after Huerta had fled. <laughs> Gotta do things right. Yeah, so they recognized, you know, the constitutionalists, they're the official government, whatever. But I, th- I think we kind of opened up a little topic here, that disagreement between the factions. Mm-hmm. So we saw, you know, Villa and Carranza kind of having a an argument. Yeah, if I were Villa, I'd just, like, put my feet up on the desk and be like, this is mine now, bitches. <laughs> Well, he didn't get there first, specifically mm. because Carranza didn't want him to get there first. He actually like sent him on some missions to like make sure he didn't. Oh, because oh, yeah, the battle was in Zacatecas. Okay, got it. The revolutionary factions, Obregón and Carranza, by this point, were kind of closely allied together. But like we said, Villa had kind of soured on him. And Zapata was, you know, he was focused on the plan de, de Ayala. He was not, you know, he's do, trying to do land reform. Mm-hmm. He's trying to do social revolution political you know stuff with hey let's tie myself to this one leader yeah you know no not for him so there's kind of a question at this point once Huerta's gone what's going to happen with these four loosely allied figures okay so they schedule a meeting all right zoom meeting october 1914 (laughs) they send the invite it's called the convention of aguas calientes okay great and so they were like, we'll figure out all the details there. But the thing is, it fails. Uh, first of all, only one of them actually goes. <laughs> cool, cool meeting. <laughs> yeah, Obregón shows up. The rest of them send their people. 
Like, Hilarious. You know. Him and a bunch of interns. <laughs> yes, pretty much. And they're all like, oh, this guy's cool, you know. Because, <laughs> I mean, he's like a hero of the revolution at that point. Mm-hmm. And so they send representatives. Carranza's guys, they're like, Carranza needs to be in charge. He's the best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Zapata's guys are like, land reform. we got to do land reform. We're here for the yeah. peasants, the campesinos. That's what we're all about. Bia's guys at this point are just like, fuck Carranza. I don't want him in charge. That guy was an <laughs> asshole to me. I don't, you know, I don't want to see him. Yeah. And Obergon, meanwhile, he's he's there like, he actually wants to get an agreement done. He's like... <laughs> oh, poor guy. Yeah, he's like, Can, I thought we were here to work this out. Like, what the hell? <laughs> um, but he, I guess, temperamentally is more like Carranza. So he's mm-hmm. more a little bit more moderate, a little bit more let's do things in an organized way. Definitely not as chaotic or anarchistic. Not in an mm-hmm. ideological way, but just in terms of opposition to government rule. Yeah. You yeah. know, as Zapata or Villa. But the convention breaks down and it splits again with the convention of Zapata and Villa declaring themselves to be like the real government of Mexico and calling on Carranza to resign. Okay, great. He doesn't. He says, you guys suck. <laughs> and civil war ensues again. Okay. So the two sides now. See if we're following because <laughs> it's a lot, right? <laughs> it's the land reform guys versus Carradas guys. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Moderates so, versus liberals. We finally we're just gonna kind of keep shifting to the left a little bit. More. I wish, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Zapata and Villa called the conventionists. Those are the mm-hmm. like you said, the land reform plan of Ayala, more socialistic policies, right? No, oh, it's not as good of a name, but okay. Yeah. (laughs) And their supporters were mainly peasants and the poor, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And they, their power base is in the north of the country and the center of the country. Yeah. On the other hand, like you said, the Carancistas or the, or the constitutionalists, the people following Carranza and Mm -hmm. Obregón, who support that original plan of Guadalupe, they want Carranza in charge, more moderate. So yeah. Their supporters tended to be wealthier, middle-class sort of folks. Makes sense. Clustered on the coastal states of Veracruz and Tamaulipas. Mm, I wonder if, because there's like a lot of resource extraction there. Huh, could be, yeah. That kind of makes sense from a class composition. Like fruit and shit. Yeah. yeah. All right, so. New war. <laughs> <laughs> Carranza pretty much quickly realizes he's outnumbered. <laughs> Villa and Zapata are right there, you know, next door to the capital mm-hmm. with more men than he's got. So mm-hmm. he takes the fuck off. That's hilarious. He goes to Veracruz. And so the convention is, so Villa and Zapata move in victoriously. Yeah. December 1914, there's Hell a famous yeah. photograph of Pancho Villa and Emiliano Zapata in the presidential palace. Everyone there looks pretty drunk. I'm just going to say it. Oh, I'm sure they were having a blast, dude. This is where he said, <laughs> kick your so feet happy. up on the desk, man. Yes, love it. I mean, at the time, President stayed in uh, Chapultepec Castle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this is where they were. Hell yeah, I love that place. It's a nice place, nice castle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you were talking about like the potential mm-hmm. of the revolution, right? This is, I think, where we really see one of the biggest uh, inflection points or like turning points, right? Mm-hmm. Where it could have gone another way. Uh-oh, what happens? You got Villa and you got Zapata. Yeah, everyone likes them. They got an army, 150,000 strong. Like you said, yeah, they're popular. You know, they're in the capital. They could just say, you know, we're in charge now. We're taking over and then go, you know, as a force, go hunt down 
the opposition. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, like, people are writing songs about these guys. Like, very popular. <laughs> yeah. They could say, the old government, it's gone. We're doing a... I mean, and maybe this ideologically is beyond what they were thinking about. You know, like, mm -hmm. let's do a worker state. You know, they, they weren't Marxists, let's say. They weren't. Yeah. Um, but people could have turned out in larger numbers, and that may have been enough to be able to, you know, carry out the plan of Ayala, at least. Mm -hmm. But they did not do that. Okay, what they do? So instead, they just kind of go in different directions. They're like, this was fun, dude. <laughs> Had a great time. See you next war. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to, you know, we'll help each other. I'm sure it'll work itself out. Just let me know when you need help, you know. <laughs> okay. And Zapata goes back to Morelos. They just go home? Yeah, because they each like, they, you know, I guess they each kind of care more about their region. They're very local boys. They're just also not that big into like military strategy, logistics, that sort of thing. They're more mm -hmm. good at leading big forces into big battles, you know, and it's just mm -hmm. like, let's do this, you know. Yeah, they're very guerrilla warfare, yeah, very localized too. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so Zapata goes back to Morelos and focuses there and in surrounding states. And he goes back there and he's like, wow, I mean, you know, Kronz's guys, they're not even coming after me. And that's pretty easy. Uh, so he just starts like working on local administration, doing land reform and shit there. That's pretty cool. Which is kind of cool, but the reason yeah. that he's able to do that so easily is because Carranza was sending all his guys after Villa in the north. <gasps> oh, that sucks. And so Villa's there getting attacked by the constitutionalists, like, oh, no. mercilessly, dude. Because, I mean, he's got a bigger army, better trained, mm -hmm. and he's the bigger threat. So they go after him first. Mm -hmm. Obergon ends up defeating him at the Battle of Celaya in April 1915, losing okay. an arm in the process and also oh, failing shit. to commit suicide. Oh, uh, shit. Okay, Pancho Villa. Yeah, Villa, his guys are the ones who took Obergon's arm off. Oh, okay, okay. I Ober thought Pancho Villa tried to do it. Okay, Obergon, okay. Lost his arm like a cannon fire sort of thing. Holy Blasted shit. his arm off. And then he was like, the wow. pain, the pain, and tries to kill himself. <gasps> but the aide that gave him the pistol didn't put any bullets in it, so he didn't die. And Very it was, dramatic. It was like a, yeah, turn of fate sort of thing. Yeah, I am I am hearing the soap opera music we grew up with right now. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Pretty soon the conventionists were basically on the run. And and meanwhile, they're not good at offering each other aid like they were supposed to. Like, yeah, they're supposed to be buds. I think it's Zapata asked for some ammunition at some point and mm -hmm. Via like sends him some, but like really slowly, like it's a bad shipment or something and mm. it takes forever. And Via's kind of like, man, that sucks, you know, but they each do this thing where they kind of like read into it and they're like, that guy's kind of, you know, a jerk for doing that. Aww. So when Via's like, hey, dude, send me some troops, Zapata's like, oh, send you like a hundred guys, you know, like. Barely oh, any. man. And Bummer. it's just very disorganized. Add that element into it. And it's, you know, mm -hmm. guys, you got to have better coordination than that. Oh, that sucks. Zapata really doesn't do anything until the constitutionalists are like on Morelos's door, on his state's door. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And by that point, I mean, he's taken the whole brunt of it now because Villa's almost spent. I mean, he's still around. Mm -hmm. He's doing a little bit of guerrilla warfare, but mm -hmm. he's vastly weakened. And so Zapata is, I mean, he has to retreat. He keeps up the rebell rebellion, but similar to Pancho Villa, he's really weakened. Yeah. They, I mean, divide and conquer, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so while they're struggling, you know, to make use of each other as allies, the constitutionalists were doing a better job of that. For one, in November 1914, uh, Carranza got the Americans to leave Veracruz by agreeing not to demand any reparations for their invasion. 
Okay. Uh, so cool. that, you know, that helped the war effort, I guess, on his from his yeah, point of view. Yeah, he doesn't have to worry about them. <laughs> um, another ally that they had were called the Red Battalions. Okay. And these were militant workers who were organized by a an anarcho-syndicalist labor union called the Casa de Obrero Mundial, the House of the World Worker. Okay. Did they sign up for this war by mistake? <laughs> That's what I was wondering. <laughs> and I couldn't find, like, why they did that. But for some reason, they throw in with Carranza. Maybe they thought he was the better bet or something. I don't know. That's so weird. If they had fucking joined up with the other two and they had stayed together, we could be talking about a cool socialist state. Yeah. But 7,000 okay. of them join up with the uh, constitutionalists. So that, I think, kind of bad look. Yeah, yeah. By August 1915, Carranza had retaken Mexico City. And by October, the U.S. recognized him as president of Mexico. Mm, and that sucks. Yeah. Like I said, Zapata and Villa continue, you know, to fight for their causes. Mm-hmm. In a local level and kind of a guerrilla warfare sort of thing. But it's no longer the organized, like, resistance force. Okay. Bummer. Yeah. Carranza takes power and is not really radical. Yeah, well. You mentioned. <laughs> uh, land reform, he starts returning confiscated lands to their former owners. Aww, dickhead. As long as they had supported him politically, you know. <laughs> okay. He vetoed laws that would let peasants use land that was not being cultivated. Fuck that. Okay. Yeah. That, <laughs> that labor union that had supported him, he mm, dissolved yeah. their red battalions the next year. Oh, my God. Of course he did. Of course he did. And then when they start striking, he uses the army against them. Okay, yeah, that's why you don't help liberals, yes. anarcho-syndicalists. What are you doing? Ugh. Yep. I think somebody misread a flyer. There had to be some sort of snafu <laughs> with why they agreed. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like... Okay, it, the names are very similar. Constitutionalist, conventionalist. Maybe they thought they were they helping just, the other guy. Yep. <laughs> this guy looks way different than the... Than the His mustache is not as drawings. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in August 1916, he went ahead and busted that union up with the cops. Uh, mm. And went for good measure, went ahead and made striking a capital offense. Capital is and you can get like the death penalty for it? Yeah. Put him up on the firing what squad. The fuck. Okay. This guy sucks. Yeah. However, <laughs> he had a few good points. Mm, okay. So one thing he did was he kept uh, Mexico out of World War One. That's good. Yeah. There was a thing called the Zimmerman telegram. I heard about that. Yeah. What is, you know what it is? Yeah, it's like Germany sent a letter to, I mean, a telegram to Mexico being like, hey, what's up? You want to be friends? And they like didn't say yes, I guess. Uh, Yeah, basically. (laughs) They were like, do y'all want to undo the Mexican-American war and get all that land back? Mm -hmm. And Carranza was like, let me check. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, I'll get back to you. He puts a study together and his guys come back and they're like, no way, we can't do it. We, we're not strong enough, you know, basically. It's a bad idea. And so he's We like, just okay, fought a war. Then no, you know. Yeah. And then later in the war, the U.S. is talking about straight taking over uh, parts of Mexico, the Tehuantepec yeah. Isthmus and the Tampico oil fields. The Isthmus is, uh, it joined the Atlantic and Pacific before the Panama Canal days. It was like mm, a land okay. route over. Yeah. So like the thin bottom part of Mexico, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. And Carranza said, dude, if y'all try that, I'm just going to set the oil fields on fire. Okay, that's a pretty good move. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I thought that was... And they were like, like oh, shit, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was cool. The big thing that he did that was great on accident (laughs) 
was call a constitutional convention in September 1916. Um, and the reason it was good was because it really wasn't in his control. And so when the delegates show up, there's very few of them that are conservative. <laughs> Most okay. of them are actually radicals who want land reform. Okay, weird. Yeah, he showed he sent out a party invite. Again, people misread the invitation <laughs> and the wrong people showed up. I love it. Yeah, and I think that this kind of represents, right? Because he, you know, okay, he took power in the battlefield, great. But he ends up having to kind of make some concessions to this social revolution that is going on, whether mm-hmm. he likes it or not. They're, they're not like ideological again, but they are kind of naturally like anarchistic or socialistic in their demands. Yeah, yeah. And so with that out there, like the Constitution ends up sort of co-opting some of the ideas from like the plan of Ayala uh, and puts that in the Constitution. Okay, what happens? What, what kind of new shit we got? All right, some examples. Uh, the Mexican Constitution, 1917, Article Three, free secular education. That's a huge deal because, yeah. again, a super Catholic country, you need that. Article Four, gender equality. Okay. Right to health care, housing, and an appropriate ecosystem, which I thought was a pretty good, yeah, thing to include. Uh, yeah. I will note that the gender equality was not enforced, at least in voting, <laughs> until uh, nationwide until 1953. Holy shit, so, that's really late, y'all. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The next one, Article 27, is a huge one. Okay. Private property is a privilege created by the nation mm. which can expropriate resources or impose private property constraints. Mm, I love that. Oh, oh. It also says they can regulate exploiting uh, natural resources based on the social benefits and egalitarianism. And it says that, uh, you know, this also applies to holdings of foreign companies. I mean, that makes fucking sense. Like, you can't just be a dragon with your horde. If we need that, we're going to, like, take it. Because guess what? You're part of the country. Like, what the fuck? So this is built in justification, at least. It's not mandating it, but it is, like, Mm -hmm. saying it can be done is Mm -hmm. land reform. Plan of Ayala. It's right there, you know? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Article 28 banned private monopolies. Uh, Article 123 said you got an eight-hour workday. Nice. Right to strike. Nice. Equal pay for women. Okay. No child labor. No company stores. Very good. Uh, Article 130, separation of church and state. Very important. Kind of took a long time to get that one, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And restrictions on the Catholic Church in terms of priests and clergy members in general, holding office or canvassing for political Mm. candidates or inheriting stuff, except for like close relatives. Mm, Okay, okay. Which I guess was a problem. Kind of. What do you think of that overall? I mean, pretty good. I mean, it's not perfect, but like pretty good shit in there. Yeah, yeah, they could do more, but they're not, like, actually Marxist-Leninists or anything. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's a good start. I would love it if we had the private property clause in there. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, Article 27. Need it. Yeah. So the Constitution's proclaimed February 5th, 1917. Carranza is easily elected as, you know, the constitutional president of Mexico in May. And I, I don't know. I think that's, like, the biggest contribution of his mm-hmm. in his term is that, like, Again, way far more radical than he wanted it to be. <laughs> so an accidental victory, maybe. Yeah, yeah. He probably doesn't consider it his greatest victory, but yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah. that, that got kind of out of hand. Have you ever heard of Pancho Villa's raid on New Mexico? No, I know he loved to raid things. 
<laughs> yeah. So this happens while Carranza is in office. Um, it's in March of 1916. Pancho Villa raids the town of Columbus, New Mexico, uh, partially as revenge, like oh, Carranza, you know, mm-hmm. the U.S. helped him, mm. and also just because he was like doing his guerrilla war, but like he was out of supplies. So mm, okay, okay. And the army finds out about this, <laughs> and they're like, "What the fuck?" You know, and well, the U.S. and they send in the army. 5,000 army troops. It's called the Pancho Villa Expedition. Damn, he got a whole expedition just to kill him, huh? Yeah, they were going to go, you know, capture or kill him, right? They use airplanes and trucks for the first time in army history. Oh, wow. Big, huge thing. Oh, yeah, they they had to be so loud. (laughs) Yeah, they, they, uh, they end up failing he just like outruns them on his horse like these are really shitty (laughs) (laughs) they keep breaking down and he just laughs uh they end they do kill a lot of his men 190 of his men but he gets away obviously this pissed off the mexican people who are getting invaded again Mm -hmm. but via escapes to keep fighting his guerrilla war until 1920 all right damn that guy's got nine lives yeah yeah he's he's cool and is not perfect at all like very you can criticize him a lot, but yeah, I've heard he was like very ruthless, but I don't know if that's just like, mm-hmm. was that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a lot okay. of executions and stuff. Okay. Right? Uh, the battle of Zacatecas, he was like just mowing people down until <laughs> one of the Carranza generals came up and was like, Hey, hey don't. <laughs> Could you stop? Oh my gosh. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, super ruthless. And his guys got up to terrible shit too. I don't want to justify yeah, yeah. that, but he's just a romantic kind of cool. Yeah. Desperado you know, trope figure. Yeah, very like kind of Wild West sort of feel. Yes, yeah. Uh, So speaking of old enemies for Carranza, though, Uh right? He was ruthless in dealing with Zapata, who was still doing his rebellion. I mean, they were, um, you know, in there. I mean, it was was still a threat, even though it was localized. Mm -hmm. It's still this alternative to his model, right? It's this kind of like, you know, anarcho-socialist sort of, Mm -hmm. you can't let that happen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, it's brutal. I mean, federal troops go in there and start crushing crushing that rebellion and capturing people and shipping off civilian prisoners to be put into forced labor on plantations. Holy so, shit. Slavery. Yeah, that's not good. Executing civilians. Zapata's forces are whittled away and defections begin. Uh-uh. Uh, but Carranza wanted him dead. Yeah. You know, wanted to kill him, wanted to show him off. Here's how that plot goes down. In 1919, Zapata, more desperate, reaches out to a colonel named Jesus Guajardo, mm-hmm. saying, hey, man, I mean, I heard, you know, you and your commanding officer, you guys are on the outs. Uh, maybe you want to, like, <laughs> come be a revolutionary like me. He slips We're... in those DMs. He's just like, hey, yeah. what's up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the thing is that the commanding officer himself got it. Oh, no. And he blackmails Guajardo into setting up a trap <gasps> for Zapata. Oh, man, he got catfished. Yeah. So, you know, Guajardo writes back and is like, yeah, I'm in. You know. Oh. Zapata, how can I trust you? Prove it. <gasps> Attack this federal base. There's some assholes in there. They betrayed me. They defected. Go get them. Okay. And, you know, like, hit the base. Yeah, you know? yeah. And Guajardo says, fine, I'm going to do it. He tells the base ahead of time. They stage a mock battle. And they take those guys that he mentioned out and execute them. Which they already wanted to do anyway, so. No, 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 no. Those are ex Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. Don't. Who joined the. (laughs) Well, it's important to note because, yeah, he 
executes his own soldiers. Wow, that's insane. Also, a mock battle, like you just make gun noises or something. What the fuck? Yeah, I guess they were just firing at the wall. Into the air. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. And Zapata, you know, he's like, whoa, okay, you're the real deal. Let's meet. You can officially join, you know, the campaign to liberate the Mexican people. I can get some ammo from you. Mm. Let's do this. Okay. Well, they set the meeting and Guajardo, for some reason, gets to set where it's at. Okay. And so he sets it at either his hacienda or someone else's. I don't really know. Uh, But this is April 10th, 1919. Zapata shows up to the meeting and they welcome him warmly Mm -hmm. with like an honor guard and like ceremony and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they blow like the bugles. And on the third bugle call, they all (gasps) open up fire on him and kill him. Oh my gosh. Okay. That sucks. That's one of the worst catfish situations I've ever heard of. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Emiliano Zapata, hero to the revolution, uh, gunned down by a traitor. <sighs> and he, his body was hauled off on a horse uh, to the nearby town of Coautla. It was photographed. God damn it. Kind of a la Che Guevara. You I know hate how they showed him off. Photographed him, displayed it there for a day, and then buried it. Oh, my God. Gross. Yeah. So that's how Zapata met his end. Bummer. Man, we don't have anybody else. Yeah, he still had Villa for a while, but he ends up retiring in 1920. Okay. Let's get to the end of Carranza, actually. Okay. He's still around, and the Mexican Revolution is still somewhat up in the air. I know we're talking about an established government. There's so much unrest still going on. Okay. Uh, In 1920, Carranza, there's no re-election or anything, so he's like, I can't run again. But he tries to nominate a guy, tries to say, this this guy, vote for him, a guy named Ignacio Bonillas. Okay. Who's basically a nobody. I mean, he was like a like a <laughs> ambassador or something. Okay. Ambassador to the United States, I think. But it's, that's not doesn't have a lot of influence yeah. domestically. That's not that impressive. People said, well, this guy's just going to be a puppet to Carranza. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. And Obregón, who had stepped aside and said, I'll, I'll let you do your thing, mm-hmm. Carranza, I don't want to get in the way. Uh-oh. Understanding that maybe next time he's going to be up, had been plotting his own presidential race. He's like, what the fuck? This is, <laughs> you know, this guy out of nowhere, it should have been me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He'd been loyal to Carranza. That's what he got. So Carranza just doesn't care. He's like in it to disrespect Obregón at this point. Wow. Strips him of his military <gasps> rank, accuses him of plotting an armed uprising. And so Obregón actually has to flee the capital and start that <laughs> armed uprising. Oh, my gosh. He wasn't going it. to. That's hilarious. Wow. He flees to Sonora, and on April 22nd, 1920, he proclaims another plan. New plan. Who this? <laughs> Love it. The plan of Agua Prieta. Okay. And so he and a couple other generals who also didn't think that Carranza was doing a good job here with this new guy, mm-hmm. a guy named Plutarco Elias Callas and Adolfo de la Huerta. No relation? No relation. Okay, great. <laughs> they team up. And they say, fuck Carranza. Okay. You know, we're doing rebellion against him. Doing it again. Great. This is a real fast one. More than three quarters of the army joined the rebellion. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be a fast one. And uh, yeah, they march on the capital. Carranza's like, oh. <laughs> oh, fuck. And he uh, runs away to Veracruz, uh, hoping to live to fight another day. I mean, you know, sometimes you start out bad and your luck turns around. <laughs> 
on the way he gets betrayed. <gasps> Some people are like, hey, yeah, you know, this army shows up. And he doesn't know if this guy's on his side or not. He mm. declared. And this guy's like, yeah, man, let me take you over here. But instead, he ends up betraying him and either killing him mm-hmm. or in the battle where, like, where the betrayal happens, Carranza gets wounded and commits suicide. Oh, okay. The account is unclear. Nobody knows. A few historians say either way. But it's like one of those things I don't think you'll ever actually know. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, okay. Mysteries. This tale has everything. Betrayal, mysteries, uh, diss tracks. <laughs> yes. Uh, I didn't find a good love story. so Ugh, that, That's the only but... thing. We don't have the romance angle. That's fine. We can make one up. <laughs> we can say that Pancho Villa and Zapata were totally gay for each other. Uh, people get mad at you when you do that, though, when you make up, <laughs> make up gays in history. <laughs> Whatever. So, the threat of Carranza, gone. Another liberal down. Who's next? Obregón is next. Okay. <laughs> Takes power December 1920. Okay. Now, he is elected on the ticket of the Laborist Party. That's a surprisingly good name for, like, his track record. Well, Obregón had, yeah, I guess he had kind of sided with the, the moderate Carranza. Mm-hmm. But he himself was a little bit more understood, I guess, the use of social reform. Yeah. And back at that meeting, like, I think it was the... Oh, gosh. Hold on. Oh, the convention of uh, Avos Calientes? Yeah. He was willing to listen to the other guys. So, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this is like a social democratic party. We're we're scooching on over to the left. Very slowly. Yeah. Yeah, we are. And so he's in charge. Here are some things that he does. All right. Let's hear it. Because this is the phase of the revolution where, where we're starting. We're almost to, like, no more, you know big violent upheavals Mm -hmm. and stuff almost (laughs) so some of his highlights for one he does some land reform okay around a million hectares Mm -hmm. of land is redistributed which sounds like a lot Mm -hmm. uh, but he actually could have done way more that's about 1.3 percent of the agricultural land in mexico yeah that's not very much then okay shit so he came out like basically saying we're gonna do land reform and then like kind (laughs) of slow rolled it yeah because he really didn't want to do too much land reform. He was a commercial farmer himself. He wasn't a socialist, really. Oh, shit, yeah. He wanted to, like, give people sort of what they wanted, but... Uh, but not really. really. Okay, yeah. great. So yeah. you could say he did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. He did some other good things, though. He built a ton of new schools and libraries. Okay. Uh, he commissioned the famous Mexican muralists. Hell yeah. Diego Rivera, uh, David Alfaro Siqueiros, and Jose Clemente Orozco. Yeah, the big three. Yeah. Uh, so he was like, you know, do your murals and stuff. Pretty and so cool. It's where a lot of the popular memory of the revolution mm-hmm. uh, resides, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, created a department of labor and put a labor-friendly minister in charge of it. Uh, he supported a labor union called the CROM, the Re- Regional Confederation of Mexican Workers. Okay. Uh, but this was more of a conservative move because this was less of a radical union than there there were others out there. Mm, okay. uh, they were more like anarchist or communist leaning mm-hmm. that he did not support. Mm. And so when he was like doing the strike laws and stuff and saying, oh, you can strike or oh, you can't, he favored his guys, the Crom. Okay. So kind of corrupt there. Yeah, really. a little bit. But anyway, his term ends up being over and he endorses the fellow we mentioned before, Plutarco Elias Caius. Mm-hmm. Plutarco is a dope name. Plutarco? Yeah, Plutarch. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> he looks like, I don't know, just looks like a fancy man. I don't have a lot of opinions about him. He looks like uh, 
Mexican Tony Soprano. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I like that. <laughs> he nominates him basically as his successor. Mm-hmm. Know, this guy's great. Y'all should vote for him. And his former ally, the other guy in that trio, De La Huerta, mm-hmm. he's upset. Oh, man. He tries to do a rebellion, but Obregón defeats him really pretty quickly. Uh, crushes him. It's, I mean, it's, uh, it starts out an even fight, but Obregón's a pretty good general and stuff. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's been around. Organized. And so it's a pretty bloody conflict. But he wins, um, and Caius is elected president in 1924. Okay. At this point, there's no more revolutionary action. Right. There is no more... Uh, Done with wars, guys. We finally got a country. <laughs> yes, the country is kind of settled. There's a lot of unrest still, we'll see. But we're entering the phase called the consolidation okay. of the revolution, where the new Mexican state that's been created out of this constitution in 1917 now is standing on two legs and starts building its future. So, I mean, just because of my background, I'm going to tie that back to the muralist because that was very much their job of like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. we need to come together as a country. We need to like kind of... I don't want to like totally talk out of my ass here, but I, I think there was a lot of effort to like standardize some of the history maybe, or like mm-hmm. kind of come up with a national identity. Yeah, I think that's right. The next few leaders that we'll look at are going to be people who fought in uh, or served in as generals in the revolution. Mm-hmm. So it's, everyone's going to be tying back whatever their project is to the legacy of the revolution. Yeah. And it's very much what people are building on. Yeah. And from less of a leader standpoint, I mean, the people are still trying to make sure and still trying to make their society reflect the ideals that they went in with, went into the revolution with. Mm -hmm. You know, that's still the big fight, even though we're not on the battlefield anymore. We're still trying to make that happen in the, you know, in the political arena. Yeah, yeah. So something about Caius, uh, he builds a lot of schools, more than 2000 schools. Cool. Creates a public health ministry, regulates like electronic communications, radio basically at that time. Okay, yeah. Gives illegitimate children the same rights as those married parents. Nice. Because he took shit for that when he was a kid. Oh, so. okay. Passed a new oil law, which was pretty good. Is based on it would strictly enforce the uh, that Article Twenty Seven. Oh, the one that I liked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it meant that they could nationalize oil. Okay. And the U.S hated that all right <laughs> shocker the american ambassador went out there and called him a communist <laughs> started calling his regime bolshevik and referring to mexico as soviet mexico that's hilarious oh my gosh like meanwhile they're crushing leftist movements like okay mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> they did not do the reading <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure Nope, I thought it was kind of cool. The first embassy that the Soviet Union opened up was in Mexico. Hey, that's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Another thing that Caius did uh, was go after the church, basically. Okay. Uh, so he's very anti-clerical. That's one of the big things he's known for as, as president. He made a law called the Caius Law. Okay. Where priests wearing their garb in public faced fines and if you were a priest who criticized the government you could go to prison holy shit if you yeah so lots of stuff started seizing a bunch of church property and closing religious schools and shit and people got mad yeah that seems intense 
the whole the not wearing priests or not wearing clerical garb that's very like soviet union they did that too at one point like you yeah. can be religious just not in public mm-hmm. that's intense and it sounds just i don't know to me it's not so important if i show off to everybody what faith <laughs> i am or something but it just yeah. sounds inconvenient to like damn i have to like bring my clothes to work you know <laughs> I gotta have a locker yeah. <laughs> um, but this kicks off the the popular resistance that grows against this ends up springing into violence and you have what's called the cristero war okay which is in 1926 and actually outlasts caius in office through 1929 mm-hmm. it's not like anyone's trying to overthrow anyone necessarily it's more of like an arm up- uprising saying like hey fix this sort of thing okay, don't do this okay. anymore or you won't you know we won't follow this law yeah okay but it's real violent and it's disorganized so it's like very popular in terms of just mob violence really mm. on both sides ends up being around two hundred and fifty thousand people Oof. Uh, killed yeah it's very bloody violence uh, but once caius's term is up in 1928 obergon comes back uh, okay, because yeah. they change the law to where like now you can be reelected but not consecutively <laughs> that's so stupid but okay <laughs> uh, and so everyone's like well it's obergon we loved him and he runs unopposed and then he was assassinated before he got into office. Oh, that's not uh, usually how that works. Okay. Shit. Yeah. A Catholic militant assassinated him. Oh, shit. Okay. And Caius at this point is like, oh, shit. Um, okay. <laughs> so he appoints a guy, Emilio Portesquil, to be like interim president okay. for two years until they can hold uh, new elections. All right. And this starts an interesting phase of Mexican history called the Maximato. Okay. Where Caius, whose nickname is El Jefe Maximo. All right. Ends up being kind of the real power behind the presidency. I'm realizing we're not giving a lot of translations because we're selfish, I guess. El Jefe is like boss, right? Yeah. Yeah. The supreme (laughs) boss, basically. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's okay. I will say it sounds cool, but... Mm, problematic. Yeah, <laughs> it does sound cool. Um, but he starts exercising power behind the scenes, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to be manipulating and really mm-hmm. the one who people look to. Uh, and the reason he's able to do this is because in 1929, he sets up a party, a political party called the National Revolutionary Party. Cool name. Uh, um, again, not sure on that one, though. <laughs> yeah, this party will later change its name uh, to the Party of the Mexican Revolution in 1938, uh, and then the Institutional Revolutionary Party in 1946, also okay. known in Mexico today as the PRI. Yeah, I know them. Yeah, I've, I've seen their signs. <laughs> <laughs> they do have like a good logo, I think. They do, they do. But Caius is able to use the PNR party apparatus to like make sure he's got control and his mm-hmm. loyalists are in place where he wants to be. Mm, okay. So he put this guy in power, Emilio Portes Gil. He's followed by Pascual Ortiz Rubio mm-hmm. for two years who then, you know, hated the job and quit because he's <laughs> like, I just keep getting bossed around, but I'm president. This sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then he's followed for the last two years there by Abelardo Rodriguez. Okay. Wow. So he just like has his little, uh, his little puppets. Yeah. Uh, so that lasts, you know, from 1928 to 1934. That's a long time. Okay. Some highlights of that 
they do bring the Cristero War to an end. Okay. Yeah. They just do amnesty and then kind of like roll back a little back down from the mm-hmm. anti-clerical things, basically. Okay. They're like, yeah, nobody likes that one. Let's try something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That one. They do minimum wage laws tied okay. to the cost of living in each state. Okay. That's not bad at all. It like sounds like a pretty easy thing to do, right? We should <laughs> yeah, maybe that, do that. I mean, it literally has a minimum in the title. So yeah, <laughs> it yeah. is the minimum you can do. <laughs> these, I guess these uh, presidents and Caius behind them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they built schools. They built hospitals. They built yeah. housing. Uh, during this time, they built the Chapultepec Zoo. I love that place. It yeah. is the largest green space in Mexico City. Oh, awesome. I did not know that. Well, just Chapel to Peck oh, Park Chapel in Peck general. Park, yeah. 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 It's like, it's for non-Mexican listeners, it's like their Central Park. Yeah. Fun fact, I did shit my pants once at Chapel to Peck Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> in case anyone was wondering. In case someone was wondering, that was me looking for those red pandas and having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so this period, the Maximato comes to an end when the party selects as its candidate for the 1934 election a guy named Lazaro Cárdenas. I've heard about this guy for some reason. I don't know why. I probably talked about him because I think he's cool. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, was he... This is stupid. Was he one of the guys you could play as in that video game where, like, you ran governments? Hearts of Iron? Maybe. I know in Hearts of Iron you can play as all sorts of leaders and... When you when you start with Mexico, you start as Cardenas. Okay, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's the guy. The thing is, Caius thought, of course, this guy wouldn't have got the nomination if he didn't think that Caius could control this guy, right? Ooh, was he doing a scheme? Well, Cardenas really wasn't, I don't think he was scheming. He just wasn't about to be controlled. Yeah, yeah. Right? He was a reformer and Caius was like, that's fine, but he'll get in there and do what I say. <laughs> but he was wrong. Hell yeah. Caius was... Uh, Way more, you know, we talked about it, anti-union, whereas Cardenas was pro-union. Hell yeah. Caius, by this point, was, like, pro-fascist. Oh, He supported this paramilitary group called the Gold Shirts. All right. I mean, that's kind of a cool name, but not the fascist part. That's not cool. No, it was bad. Yeah. And and (laughs) Cardenas was like, no, those dudes suck. They, like, attack minorities and stuff. Oh, fuck that. And so when he gets into office, Cardenas uh, starts removing uh, supporters of Caius from posts nice. exiling them and eventually he exiles Caius too. Nice. He took that shit down from the inside. Like the one time that worked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it does work for a while. He deports them. Caius is alleged to have been reading Mein Kampf when he was arrested. <laughs> Ooh, that's hilarious. Okay. Not, not a good look. Glad um, we got rid of that guy. So yeah, by April 9th, 1936, he's gotten rid of Caius and he's on his own. Mm. And uh, the way I see Cardenas is that he's like kind of the culmination of the Mexican Revolution. Ooh, it is okay. all downhill after him. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, fuck. Is, but he's, he's like the... He was the goal. Yeah, it's incomplete, I think. But he does a lot of the stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. So some highlights, land reform is the big one. Hell yeah. Finally, he, redist- <laughs> he redistributes 180,000 square kilometers. Okay. Okay. Convert that to <laughs> hectares, which we had before. The guy who did 1 million, but it mm-hmm. wasn't a lot. Cardenas did 18 million. Holy shit. That's way more. Okay. Great. Yeah. 
redistributes this to peasants. He also creates ejidos, which are these agrarian collectives Mm. uh, where community members have the right to use communal land that had been expropriated from landlords and was now owned by the Mexican state. So they don't own it, but they can use it. That's awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. This, I mean, again, this is not fully, but it is somewhat of a realization of that Zapatista goal. Right? Yeah, yeah. This is land reform at the national level. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, he also created peasant reserve militias under the control of the army as a way to like protect against regional strongmen pulling crazy shit or vengeful estate owners saying, hey, you expropriated my land, give it back. Yeah, yeah. you got to protect against that. Like he understood. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And this lasted, this, uh, the Ejidos thing mm-hmm. lasted until 1992 when this okay. dick named Carlos Salinas de Gortari. Mm-hmm modified our favorite article 27 no i love that one and instead he changed it to allow privatization and the sale of ejidos boo oh and he was a pre guy too what a fuck yeah but by that point the pre was completely neoliberal privatization (laughs) all over the place oh what a fucking shithead okay yeah um what's another big thing that cardenas did in 1936 there was a dispute between the oil workers union Mm. and foreign oil companies and cardinal okay. said i'm aside with my guys my oil hell workers. yeah hell yeah and so he cancels oil concessions to foreign companies and they're like what what are you gonna do nationalize it and he's like yeah i am <laughs> okay great march 18th 1938 nationalizes mexico's petroleum reserves expropriates their equipment agrees that he's going to compensate them mm-hmm. and in doing so he creates pemex Petroleos Mexicanos. Well, unfortunately, right now they're famous for setting the ocean on fire. Not a good look. Yeah, yeah. I have a weird soft spot for them just because, like, I recognize their tower in the skyline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I guess where we visit is close to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, you know, as controlled by a government that's falling into neoliberalism, it makes sense for that to yeah, yeah. to happen. The nationalization inspired a spontaneous six-hour parade in the capital. <laughs> It sounds like a great party. Would love to go to that. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's so one of the few companies. times I would consider time traveling backwards. <laughs> I'll go to that parade. <laughs> and just make sure you don't lose sight of your time machine so mm-hmm, you can get back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the United States and Britain were pissed. The British severed diplomatic relations. They did a boycott. But wow. I mean, when World War II rolled around, everybody wanted some of that Mexican oil. I'm sure they did. The U.S., you know, they had left and taken everything that wasn't nailed down, you know, so that, you know, they didn't, so they couldn't use it, basically. And they yeah, had to train yeah. up new guys. But when World War II came around, they sent technical advisors in to make sure that that oil was flowing. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, what else? He sold guns to Republican Spain during the Spanish Civil War. Nice. Also took in refugees from that conflict. Also allowed Trotsky who had been exiled from the Soviet Union, allowed Mm -hmm. him to stay in Mexico. Very close friend of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. Yeah. He, you know, continued the process of building more schools, Mm -hmm. more roads, uh, started to be like, oh, what if we do like education that's like socialist and like kind of anti-clerical and stuff. Mm. Uh, But the Catholics started really riling up again (laughs) and he backed off of that. Okay, man. Uh, Tried to get women's suffrage passed, but it was blocked by some jerks. I forgot that we uh, still hadn't done that one yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they blocked it. And for this, for the crazy reason that they said women, or what would be the problem with 
women voting, do you think? What would they say? I don't know. They're too emotional. <laughs> uh, too easily convinced. They said women would just vote the way their priest tells them to. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I will say my mom would definitely do that. But that... <laughs> But that's our grandmother. No, that's hilarious and terrible. Wow, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. Those are some of the highlights. We don't have to get into everything he does. Okay. Uh, he did he a lot of cool, cool shit. cool shit, yeah. And I think that the main point we talked about was focused on the demands of the people. That Article 27. Mm-hmm. That, you know, Mexico belongs to Mexico, to the people, and we can expropriate even your oil. You yeah. Know? And... Uh, We can expropriate your land. We can do land reform. We can make sure that the people have what we need and deserve. Again, we only want the earth. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, yeah, again, it could have gone further. But yeah, that's some cool shit. I'd be very pleased if any of these things were happening. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And again, after Cardenas, he's followed by more conservative politicians Mm -hmm. in this this pre-machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really, they're never that radical again. Damn. Bummer. For a while, they are kind of like following a more or less kind of social democratic-ish line. Mm-hmm. But it is, it just, it, it gets worse. Yeah. So, but that's, that's for another bummer. time. That is the full entirety of the Mexican <laughs> Revolution and its aftermath. Holy shit. That was a lot. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Lots yeah. of drama. It really, yeah, it had, like you said, it had it all, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we were missing the, like, love triangle or something. That's fine. We can find one somewhere. Yeah, that was intense. That would make for a great (laughs) miniseries. Yeah, it it super would. I have a question. Yeah, shoot. So Mexico has nationalized healthcare. Was that during this weird socialist time? It is actually right after this guy. So I guess it doesn't get completely worse. It's in 1943 uh, that they start the Mexican Secretariat of Health and Assistance. And they're, they're kind of like merging a few different organizations into that. And they start the Mexican Social Security Institute and Children's Hospital, uh, which they start. They are providing for health uh, for the population. So health care, I guess. I mean, I think that's interesting because, I mean... We, you know, having family there have definitely heard stories about like how slow and inefficient it is. But again, we also grew up during like extremely like corrupt times of Mexico and like really just bullshit in the government in general. So like that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And I will add that like it is very inefficient, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And slow. Mm -hmm. But it does cover everybody. Yeah, it's just fucking free. <laughs> and so here's the thing with that is that when you have private health care, like, or, you know, you have insurance through your boss or whatever, through mm-hmm. your company, it's still slow and inefficient. It really is. No one's ever like, wow, I went to the doctor and that was easy. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're very rich. Rich people have concierge doctors. Mm-hmm, like they, mm-hmm. they have doctors on call. Everyone else, you have to set up an appointment. You got to go wait. You know, it's not that bad. But, like, whenever you send stuff off and stuff, they have stuff up in the offices. They're like, this is going to take weeks, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's fine. And, and it's like, you have to queue. You have to wait for your stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's if you can pay for it. But ours is more efficient, I guess, in terms of speed. But for how much fewer, you know, 
what percentage of the population, you know, doesn't actually do that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's a huge thing. And especially if you're looking at like specialists and stuff, like trying to find, I don't know, like a, Mm -hmm. a good, like psychiatrist or something like that can take a long time. Like the more specialized you get, the longer you're going to wait. You know, and another thing is you have like this stupid, oh, I need to choose the right. I I don't know. To me, it's kind of dumb because I'm someone who's just like, well, they're the doctors. They know things and I don't. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just me being a country bumpkin or something. (laughs) But I would I just I get kind of stressed, like looking for someone to, you know, who's the a good doctor who's not because I'm like, they're doctors like. I just want to go to the one and then they're like, <laughs> here are the things, you know, and there's no oh, difference because yeah. they're right, you know? No, it's, it gets really hard. Like my therapist at one point was like, yeah, you should try finding a doctor for blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, excuse me, I'm like a fat trans person. That's going to be very hard yeah. <laughs> like, to find one that just like won't be an asshole to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Another thing I wanted, I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. was I feel like this happens a lot in this podcast is where we see those turning points and we're just like, what could have been? Yeah. I just want to return to that, that sense of longing. If, if, uh, sitting in the palace, yeah, sitting in the palace with their boots up, Zapata and Via, if they had had, I don't know, maybe more tequila shots or fewer tequila shots, not sure what the perfect ratio would be. Or you just, um, (laughs) you know, in his exile years, Lennon takes a trip to Mexico. Mm, yeah. And it's just like, guys, what you need is Workers' Revolution, Vanguard Party. Let's go. Yeah. All right, Remy <laughs> decided to join me. He he liked that plan. <laughs> he was like, did somebody Send say Lennon? <laughs> <laughs> but not to great man history. I mean, but. Yeah, I, I just feel like. In a way, I totally relate to their decision to like go back home and because they that's how they came up. That is like mm-hmm. what's always important to them. Like it's all about local power. And like in a lot of ways, I really relate to that because yeah. I have those anarchist leanings. But it's just like you can only have that local power if you live in a country where like that's allowed. So like I feel like they should mm-hmm. have had like slightly longer term view on that. Yeah. And really. I got the anarchist sympathies as well. But for mm-hmm. me, get me reading about a failed revolution. And I start saying, you know, what you could use here is smashing the state and establishing a worker state. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I start thinking about state and revolution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, yeah, that's what I'm thinking is like, guys, abolish Carranza's situation mm-hmm. and put in your own, man. Take over. But, and, and you know, again, we're framing it in these particular ideological stripes that they weren't using although it's not to say that they were ignorant zapata for yeah. example did write a letter to lenin Ooh, okay kind of like saying here's what we're doing over here i think we're like you know got the same struggle sort of thing mm-hmm. i don't think it, do not believe he received a reply oh uh, but rude uh, yeah well they all, i don't think they also like know if he got it or not so yeah in <laughs> mailing things back then was really just a crapshoot <laughs> yeah Mailing from Mexico to Russia. In <laughs> How long would that fucking take? Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah, I don't want it to paint at all like, oh, they, they didn't know this existed. Because, I mean, like, you can see the legacy of it in, like, the Mexican muralists and in, like, mm-hmm. their kind of relations with the Soviet Union. Like, they're kind of buds, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm sure they mm-hmm. had heard of this shit. It just wasn't, at that time, it wasn't the priority and by the time they like had heard of the shit and were into it, like they were in like a social democratic state. Yeah. Yeah. I would so. say so. 
Okay, so cool. Lessons learned. Kill your prisoners. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to kill the generals. And if you take over a place, just like fucking go for it, y'all. Don't go home. Don't leave the party early. It's yeah. It just reminds me of uh, the July days in the Russian Revolution, um, where the where the uh, Bolsheviks, you know, they're talking to all these like this mass of protesters out in the streets and stuff, and and trying to calm them down because they don't want to like fucking piss off the provisional government too soon and get like destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this guy goes out there to try to calm the crowd. One of the Bolsheviks and 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 someone seizes him by the lapels and shouts in his face take power you son of a bitch when it's handed to you oh nice i love that and it's just like sometimes you want to reach back in history and be like come on do, do the it thing. you're so close you know because <laughs> yeah the the whole arc was very much just like one step forward two steps back kind of thing like yeah yeah well not really it's more like Two steps forward, one step back, maybe? Yeah. Because we were so. inching to the left, <laughs> and then we backslid massively after Cardenas, but, you know. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> that's Bummer. what happens. All right. I think another good thing about this episode is it'll be a starting point for us. There's a lot of things we glossed over, went through real quickly, a lot of interesting figures we could go back and dive into. So, yeah, I think there's, there's plenty for us to, to uh, explore more deeply in the future. Cool. What are we doing next week? Okay, uh, next week I believe we have a reading. We do. We are going to be reading Capitalism and Disability by Marta Russell and Ravi Malhotra. So we decided to start with a reading for this topic because neither of us know a lot about this subject. So yeah, I mean, I just full transparency. We don't know about it, so we're going to research it. (laughs) We're going to research. We're going to learn. And present to you what we've learned, discuss that, and definitely one that we'll be looking for y'all to chime in with some good feedback of what we need to learn more about, you know? Absolutely, yeah. If you have suggestions for further reading or just like people who are really good on this shit, like send it our way. Yeah. So I think we are good examples of this. Broadly speaking on the left, sometimes we overlook this or don't Mm -hmm. pay the attention that it needs. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of reaching out, in the meantime, between episodes, you're thirsty for that leftist content, find us on the internet. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can send us an email, teachmecommunism at gmail.com. All those places are great for episode suggestions. Um, like, hey, dummy, here's where you read about disability stuff. Like, <laughs> whatever yeah. it is you want to send us. So yeah, send it our way. You also should Go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Even if yeah. you're not an Apple user, you can totally do it. It really helps people find the show, and it's like a big driver of that. You can also like share us on Spotify. Like they have a share function where you can like post your Instagram, your Twitter, whatever it is. So like do that. Uh. We're on YouTube. If that's how you like to listen to podcasts, if you know a guy who's just like, I don't do podcasts, I only do YouTube, then send send them our stuff. And finally, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash teachmecommunism. For five bucks a month, you get access to all of our notes. I have been reading along these notes as we went, and they're good. I liked it because I got to click on the links and look at everyone's cool mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many, right? There were a lot of mustaches, y'all. Lots of mustaches, some beards, too. I think Carranza had an excellent beard-mustache combo. Oh, I forgot. Hold so. on. <laughs> Hold on. I got to go back. There we go. I had to find his first instance. 
Venustiano. What a hell of a first name. Venustiano, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's a Trotsky-looking dude. Right? It's all... Yeah, it's all pretty crazy. Coming out. It's great. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you could just Google their mustaches, but this is a conveniently organized archive of mustaches and also actual history. <laughs> and you get access to the backlog, too, with that. So all of our previous episodes, it's a handy little resource. Yeah. At the end of the year, those proceeds will go to a local mutual aid fund. So not not us. <laughs> yep. Support the people. Solidarity. Hell yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for being a great student. Yeah, thanks for doing all this research. This looked like a ton of fucking work. <laughs> it was. It was. The main thing was staying disciplined, man. Not going through down too many rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, like there are a lot of interesting people in this. I definitely would have just been like, who's this guy? What's his deal? <laughs> just watch a documentary uh, about him for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was fun. Nice. Thank you, listeners out there, for tuning in. You guys are great. Yeah, for sure. Rejoin us. Come back next week for another episode of Teach Me Communism where the class struggle is always in session. I have to wait because my animals are fighting. It's going to pick up on the mic. Okay, bye, (laughs) y'all. Bye.